Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. This week I'm talking to Bishop Rod Thomas, the Bishop of Maidstone. He was up in Staffordshire last week where I live and I went up to meet him uh, before he was preaching in the evening service at St Martin's in Talk. St Martin's is a church society parish. It's part of a multi-parish benefice uh, with the situation that two of those churches have church society as their patron and the third one has the bishop as patron. That's an increasingly common scenario where uh, parishes with different patrons are joined together uh, in multi-parish benefices. Different situations, uh, the uh, patronage is arranged differently. In some places, it means the patrons alternate. In other places, the patrons try and work together in each appointment and try and do the best for all three churches. Every time a multi-parish benefice is formed, inevitably there are churches with slightly different traditions and churchmanship coming together. And it can be difficult for a minister to try and uh, work out how best to serve their different congregations while retaining their own integrity as a minister. So this interview was recorded in the vicarage at St. James Audley. As I say, before the evening service, you can hear one or two of the vicarage children enjoying themselves in the background. Later on, I went to the service to hear Rod preach. He preached about justification by faith alone. And it was a wonderful service where people had come from a number of different churches around the area to join together in praise and worship of our God who justifies us. As part of the service, the vicar asked Rod about how he became a Christian. He talked about growing up in a Christian home, but also key moments uh, where that faith became real to him. One of those I was really interested to hear he, when he was a child, sort of nine or ten years old, reading Patricia Sinjin's lovely book, Treasures of the Snow. I read that book when I was a child. I had no idea what was going on in it. And it really was striking to me the difference between Rod having grown up in a Christian family, having heard the gospel explained to him. And when he read that book, being convicted of the need for a personal faith in the Lord Jesus himself, not just being part of a family of believers. Uh, for me, I just thought it was a nice story with some slightly weird stuff going on. And it wasn't until many years later when I'd come to faith that I understood uh, something of what that was about in a similar way uh, that I'd read the Narnia stories as a child and, and loved them as fantastic uh, fantasy stories, uh, but had no idea until much later in my life that there might be any deeper meaning to that so I guess it's just a, a brief encouragement to those of you who are trying to bring your children up in the faith and maybe not seeing always uh, the effects of that that you would like to see, but actually to know that what you are doing is making a difference. In my interview, I uh, wasn't really asking Rod about his own Christian experience so much as his current role, uh, what he does as the Bishop of Maidstone and why we need someone to do that. And particularly, I was keen to ask him what the encouragements are that he sees in the Church of England at the moment. So I'm here talking to Rod Thomas. Rod, you are the Bishop of Maidstone. But as I understand it, you don't have anything to do with Maidstone. Is that correct? <laughs> That's right. Uh, typical of the Church of England, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a wonderful, yes. The, the Bishop of Maidstone, the reason I'm the Bishop of Maidstone is that to be a bishop in the Church of England, you have to be the bishop of somewhere. And when it was decided at the time that women bishops were introduced to 
create a role for a new bishop in order to minister specifically to conservative evangelicals who had um, been very vocal in their opposition to women bishops, um, it was decided to make the otherwise unused See of Maidstone available to appoint me in order to minister to them. I see. So the appointment was a, a slightly different thing and Maidstone is just an accident of the Church of England that, that sort of has attached itself to that role. Well, it, that's right in, in one way, but it's a very helpful accident in the sense that um, because it's in Canterbury, it puts me in direct relationship to Justin Welby as the Archbishop. Yes. So he is my diocesan bishop. Yes, um, very interesting. Uh, that's a, that's a, a useful relationship. Yes, very good. And so how long have you been doing that? For two years now. Two years. And before that, you were a vicar somewhere? Yes, I was a vicar for 16 years in the, on the east side of Plymouth, a lovely parish, St Matthew's Elberton, and uh, very much enjoyed it. Great. And, and greatly miss it, I have to say. Yes, it's I not, imagine. It's not, a, not a, sort of an easy thing to do to leave uh, the family life of a, of a local church. Um, but on the other hand, there are really interesting aspects to the job that I'm doing now. I'm sure. I mean, I know this is probably true for all bishops, isn't it? That, that actually you end up spending every Sunday in a different place. Um, do you have a place that you think of as your home church at the moment? Or? Well, um, to some extent, yes. Um, in that there is a local church that I try to help out at and be part of when I can. My wife is rather more successful at that than I am. Sure. Since she doesn't always come with me on every parish visit at a weekend. So I think it's a little bit um, uh, more obvious for her. Uh, but uh, having said that, if you can only attend a local church once every six weeks, which is about what I manage, hmm. if that actually sometimes, uh, it's not quite realistic no. to say it's your local church. No. So really, I look for my fellowship in the churches that I visit. Wow. And I do actually enjoy getting to know some people, and particularly if I make a return visit, yeah. it's great to catch up with people that I recognise. So, Rod, you were appointed because of the way that the process of appointing women bishops came about, that it was felt that there, there was a need for someone who was a conservative evangelical to minister to those who felt they couldn't accept the ministry of a female bishop. In those two years, have you seen that there's been a real need for that? I mean, are, are you busy on a week-to-week oh, week basis? Certainly there's, there's a need. I mean, the church recognised there was a need when uh, so many conservative evangelicals were active in the General Synod, which led, together with the opposition of the traditional Catholics, to the defeat of the earlier proposals for women bishops in 2012. So they realised there was a need, um, and since then... Uh, that need has been clearly seen in the number of um, PCCs which have passed resolutions under yeah. the arrangements that were made. It's the arrangements under the House of Bishops Declaration. This is the provision that was made for those who disagree. And uh, about 110 evangelical congregations have passed those resolutions, right. or rather church councils have passed sure. those resolutions. And that compares with um, something like 450 traditional Catholics okay. that have done so. The difference in number, however, masks the fact that there are probably more worshipping Anglicans in the 100, right. that have, uh, 110 that have passed resolutions. So the size of the congregation exactly. may not be precisely exactly. uh, 
And, uh, and uh, 110 congregations keeps me very active. I'm sure it does. I'm yeah. sure it does. And as you uh, visit those churches and, and those that are uh, maybe like-minded but haven't yet passed a resolution or whatever, what are the things that you can see God is doing in, in the Church of England? Are you encouraged as you travel up and down and, and see them? I think there are huge encouragements. Um, I'm encouraged by the um, examples that I see of humble self-sacrificing mm. service on the part of clergy uh, we so often uh, hear that evangelical clergy are characterized as the problem because they're kicking up a fuss about something or other actually in reality there is wonderful service going on which which um, humbles me when i see it i think the second thing is to say that there is a lot of evangelism going on which right. i'm hugely cheered by i've been intrigued by two things in particular one is the success of life explored right the new yes. the new yeah. material coming from the christianity explored Great. stable um it it was it was something that when i first was l reviewing it it <laughs> sort of slightly mystified me but <laughs> since then i have discovered on a large number of occasions people that have um come to know jesus christ as a result yes um, and that's really wonderful and the second thing that I've noticed is the number of new converts in the confirmations that I'm doing. Wonderful. So this year I will have confirmed roughly 200 people in the in the year. And um, I don't know what proportion of those sure. are new or Christians, people that have become Christians in the last two years. Hmm. But the answer is a high proportion. That's and really that great. great news. Yeah, that's really exciting. I um, ran Life Explored earlier this year as part of the online work that I used to do and my experience was people either got it or they just didn't get it and for a certain sort of person it's brilliant mm. and for some groups it's just as you say slightly mystifying yes um, but it's really exciting to see people doing something so creative and different and absolutely it's reaching, for courses reaching you, a different group of people that perhaps we often don't. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Impressing us to go perhaps beyond our comfort zone. Yes. In order to reach people. Yes, yeah, it's definitely. It's very good indeed. That's really exciting, and and great to hear about new converts in the confirmation services as well. Um, I know confirmations are something that I've discovered <laughs> since I became a bishop, <laughs> because you know, like most evangelicals, I, I, I sat slightly loose to it. Yes. Uh, in in my parochial ministry, but um, uh, when I say that, I. I did have, it did have confirmations. Yes. Um, but now that I'm um, officiating at them, they are truly wonderful occasions for people to give their testimonies to um, a larger assembly of people than would otherwise be there on a Sunday. Mm. Um, and they are great opportunities for evangelism mm. and for people to understand a little bit more about what it means to be part of the Christian family. Yeah. So I would commend them to people. Yes, and I think as well, actually, they can also be used really to help people understand the particularities of, of being an Anglican as well and, and making, you know, for, for a lot of evangelicals, we've, we've again sat very loose to that. But actually there are Anglican distinctives that I think we can be proud of and, and happy to give testimony and say, this is the church that I choose uh, absolutely, to we be can. part of, and, and, and the other thing about confirmations, of course, is that, that that they are crucial to making sense of infant baptism. Yes, because um, given that baptism is the moment of commitment and of union with Christ, um, we know that that only happens when there is personal faith in Christ, and the symbol of these things, uh, the outward sign of this this this, this grace that is given to us, 
is this is, is baptism and in confirmation it completes if you like the, the yeah. baptism that took place for an infant exactly there's a that moment of public recognition and testimony that that what Absolutely. we trusted for in baptism is the reality in that person's Absolutely. life. Absolutely. So, so if there was no choice in the baptism earlier mm. on, there is a choice with confirmation. And what's more, it is the confessing with the lips and not just believing in the heart. Yes. Yeah. And uh, which then gives rise to those testimonies and those opportunities to declare one's faith. That's really great. Um, Roger, as you know, the there continue to be, there have always been, and there continue to be uh, people who are, giving up on the Church of England in, in all sorts of different ways. As someone who obviously is very embedded within the Church of England as, as first vicar and now as, as bishop, what would you say are the reasons that for you this is still an institution worth being committed to and, and ministering in? Well, there are negative and positive things. Negatively, the history of those that have left the Church of England is not a great history. Mm. Um, there are many, many groups that have split off over time, um, but they have never really taken off. Um, so I don't think we can necessarily assume that uh, moving out of the Church of England is the route to success. Right. Uh, the second thing, more positively, is to remember that within the Church of England we have a doctrine and a liturgy that is squarely based on the authority of Scripture. So Canon A5 says that the doctrine of the Church is grounded in the Holy Scriptures. Um, and whilst those two things remain intact, we can minister with integrity in the Church. And there are good reasons in practice why we would want to do that, even though... There are many people that are pressing to change our doctrine and many people who are acting as though our doctrine were changing. Yeah. The fact is it hasn't. And um, it may be that when people do, uh, I suppose, innovate practices that are con well, not exactly contrary to the doctrine, but certainly putting our doctrine under pressure, we may have to declare impaired communion with those particular right. individuals or sections but it doesn't mean we have to stop ministry in the Church of England. And the good reasons for doing Church, uh, Church of England ministry are that it has a wonderful nationwide spread, over 16,000 places of worship, compared to, say, the Baptists, which have about 5,000. FIEC has, has about a tenth of that number. Yeah. So uh, we have a good spread, good opportunity for reaching people. Um, we have an inclusive mindset that is bad in some ways but it's great in other ways because it means we're involved with our communities and we want our communities to be involved with us we have a system of church government which um, really uh, balances the rights and responsibilities of different groups in a very careful way so a bishop doesn't have untrammeled power nor does a vicar nor does a pcc mm. but they have certain powers mm. and they balance one another in a wonderful way that you don't find in, in, in denominations in this country. Uh, so there are all sorts of reasons for ministry in the Church of England. Uh, the fact that it's the place where people naturally tend to go if there is some moment to mark in their lives or in national life means that it's a great place to be with the gospel when they get there. Mm. So I would, I would commend ministry in the yeah. church, even in difficult times, and if we want to change the church, 
We will only do so by getting involved and changing it from the ground up. In other words, putting people into place in parishes with lay people convicted mm. of the gospel and working hard to spread it. Great, thank you so much. And I think maybe I would just add a, a slight identity to that, not just putting people in place in parishes, but also getting involved further up the hierarchy in different ways in synods or, um, you know, in other positions too, actually positions of influence. There's no yes, reason why we I, shouldn't be involved I, I would, in some I, of those. I, I, I completely agree with that. Mm. Um, I would, I would say that historically evangelicals have been very suspicious of uh, accepting um, the possibility of becoming bishops in the Church of England and you know for totally understandable reasons but the fact is that unless we've got people in those positions we cannot get the decisions that yeah. we need to enable ministry to prosper yeah. um, and similarly unless we get people voted onto synods um, we may not be able to achieve good positive things through synods, but what we can achieve is we can stop wrong things happening. Yes, yes. And that's why we need to get elected. Yeah. So we need to be very focused in how we're seeking to change the church. Yeah. Um, and we're not seeking to change it because of a party spirit. We're seeking to change it so that it stays true to its founding formularies. Wonderful. Rod, is there anything that we can be doing to support you or perhaps to pray for you in your ministry? Well, uh, thank you. Um, I, I value hugely the fact that people pray for me because as with every activity, you can sometimes get so engrossed in it that you, that, that, that you realise you've become prayerless. Yeah. And unless God um, takes a hand with all of these things that we're setting our own hands to, Nothing will be achieved. So I do really appreciate prayer. Prayer for wisdom, yep. um, because there are lots of things that I have to decide how to react or not to react to. Mm. Lots of contributions to make in either the House of Bishops or the College of Bishops or in meetings that take place mm. around the place. Um, sometimes issues that arise within parish life where I'm asked to um, uh, help people. Uh, many of these are outside my own direct experience. So I need wisdom. I think also I need courage. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not always easy to stick your neck out when people are uniformly being nice to you all around, um, but just actually going in a wrong direction. Mm. And mm. just, just yeah. you know, going in a different direction yeah. can sometimes be very difficult. Great. Thanks so much for talking to us, Rod. It was really great to hear Rod talking about the joys of confirmation. Confirmation is something that we do in the Anglican Church, uh, particularly, uh, though not exclusively, for those who've been baptised as infants, as an opportunity for them to publicly affirm the promises which were made earlier on their behalf, perhaps to give something of their own testimony of how the Lord has worked in their lives, to declare publicly to friends and family, and particularly to the church family, their commitment to being part of that church family of God. We are quite often asked at Church Society about suitable confirmation resources. Sometimes it will be appropriate to do a course like Christianity Explored or Life Explored, such as Rod mentioned uh, in that interview. But in many cases, that won't be the most suitable material. Perhaps you've got candidates who've already gone through that sort of evangelistic course and you want something which um, takes them through more specifically what it will mean to be an Anglican. Confirmation is about becoming a communicant member of the Anglican Church. And so you might want something more specifically detailed 
uh, to that, but also something which helps the candidate understand what it means for them to live as a Christian. So traditionally, the three uh, documents that you might take somebody through before confirmation would be the Apostles' Creed, a statement of what it is that all Christians believe of Orthodox uh, Christianity, the Ten Commandments, the standard for Christian living, and the Lord's Prayer as that model for our own prayer and worship life. We recently published on our website a piece from our archives, written sometime, I think, in the late 19th century. It's called A Short Catechism for the Young Churchman. Catechisms used to be the uh, standard way, really, of preparing people and discipling people uh, in their faith. A series of questions and answers given addressing the main points of what it was felt necessary to believe and live as a Christian. And this shorter catechism is an interesting example because it's written specifically actually to prepare people for confirmation. Uh, that's why it's aimed at the young churchmen. Not only does it give uh, biblical references for each of the questions and their answers to help you see uh, that this explanation of faith is fully grounded in scripture but it also gives you references to the 39 articles to help you see that the Anglican faith the Church of England which uh, you are committing yourself to in confirmation is fully consistent with the Bible's doctrine and the Bible's teaching on these matters. It is quite old-fashioned. You probably wouldn't want to use it with uh, people you're preparing for confirmation in the 21st century, uh, but do watch this space uh, for possibly a, a more modern version designed for confirmation preparation now. And we're also looking at, again, this is very much watch this space, we're also looking at potentially preparing some resources that will be suitable for use uh, in confirmation preparation based around the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed. So do look forward to those in the coming months. Do tune in again next week when I will be talking about Advent and I'm very excited. I'm going to find out what happens to all those Christmas shoeboxes once you've packed them and taken them to church. Where do they go next and how do they end up uh, in the hands of the children uh, we always see those lovely smiling photos of. So that's what I'll be talking about next week. If you've got any uh, thoughts or comments about things that Rod said uh, in his interview uh, or about the podcast more generally, do feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at Church Society, on Facebook on the Church Society page, or you can always email me, ros at churchsociety.org. Thanks for listening. Do tune in again next week. <music>